what in the world does self-compassion have to do with being a great champion? That's exactly what Anna Hennings and I discuss on this brand new episode of the Compete Everyday Podcast. Let's go! What's up, Competitor Nation? Welcome back to the Compete Everyday Podcast. As always, my name is Jake Thompson, your Chief Encouragement Officer here at Compete Everyday. And today is a fun one as we talk about self-compassion, volleyball, communication, and what it means to be a champion. See, when Anna and I first connected, I was surprised that she wanted to talk about self-compassion. It's not really something I've ever thought about when it comes to having a championship mindset, being great in your sport, in your career, in your life. But as our discussion took place, as we continue to talk, I could see how it's so incredibly crucial to be great in sports, to be great in our professional career, honestly, to live a fulfilling, successful life. We need self-compassion. So Anna and I dive into that as well as her own story throughout volleyball and what drove her to be a sports performance coach. You're going to get a ton of actual applicable takeaways that you can use to start building self-compassion, to start strengthening your competitor mindset this week. So stay tuned, get locked in. Today's a fun one. And as always, friends, I hope you are already diving into content and things with Competitor Nation. But if you are not, there are two easy ways to get connected. The first is go to facebook.com slash groups slash compete every day and get plugged into Competitor Nation. Join the thousands of other competitors who are every month taking on new challenges, who are every day getting motivational content, leadership content, things to help them grow in their career, their training, and their life. And most of all, get connected with other driven people who want to be great. Be sharpened like iron by other people who are showing up, competing every day, doing their best to win their work, their workouts, and their life. So that's on facebook.com slash group slash compete every day. And the other easy way to build that competitor mindset to be part of Competitor Nation is to sign up for our free email, thedailycompetitor.com. You'll get a very short email Monday, Wednesday, Friday to start your day with intention to learn one way you can build a competitor mindset that day to give you a focus so you go into the day with a plan of attack. If you fail to plan, just plan to fail. But with every morning with the Daily Competitor email, you are going to get a focus. You're going to get a way to set that mindset before you get into the day's activities so that you can show up and compete. Regardless of how you feel that day, regardless of what's going on, you're going to show up and do your absolute best so that one day you get closer to reaching that full potential. You start to scratch the surface of what you were actually created to be. And it starts by what you do every single day. So get plugged in. It is free. TheDailyCompetitor.com. I hope you get on there. I hope you get signed up. And I can't wait to talk with you every morning of the week, especially those that are our premium members that are getting six emails a week, as well as a private video content training every week and our quarterly coaching calls. So check out more at TheDailyCompetitor.com. Now, let's have some fun. Let's talk self-compassion, championship mindset, and what it looks like to compete every day while having compassion for yourself. Please welcome Anna Hennings. Welcome to the Compete Everyday Podcast today. Thanks so much for having me, Jake. 
This is uh, this is what I'm looking forward to, and and we laughed before we got on air on how we've had this scheduled for a while after I reached out on social media to connect with you, just because I was fascinated by some of the work you do, uh, and really the diving into the mental performance space is where we love and where our listeners love to just play, uh, especially given your background, your background within the sports realm, all of those things that seem to work for our listeners who played sports growing up. Some of them are probably still trying to chase that dream of pro one day something, but a lot of them are just like, how can I stay active, still do what I love, but then really learn that connection between sports and life. And for a lot of us as athletes, we learn all these great skills. We learn, you know, even time management and training and consistency. We learn these things in sports and then we graduate, grow up, get out of sports as youth in high school, college, whenever. And we forget about all of those things in life that can make us just as successful. So today should be a lot of fun. You are based in the Portland area, as we just discussed, but give everyone kind of an overview of what you do. And then I want to kind of flip back to the beginning of your story when you played. Yeah. Thanks so much for that wonderful introduction to the, you know, the field of mental performance. And a hundred percent agree with you. One of the things I love most about working with athletes and, and professionals of all kinds is connecting what have we learned in sport and how does that apply to life? Because let me tell you what we learn, the mental skills, especially that we learn in sport apply to all realms, life, especially. Um, and so what I do primarily now is I, I'm a mental performance coach for mostly youth athletes. Um, I actually specialize in working with volleyball athletes. I, um, especially young women who are transitioning from indoor volleyball to beach volleyball. So it's a very bit of a niche, yeah. area, but, uh, it's part of my own history where, you know, I was a competitive volleyball player myself and beach volleyball is the top, uh, top growing sport in the NCAA. So I think we're going to see a lot more of it in the coming years, assuming COVID doesn't completely screw that yeah. up. It's about saying they're on the West Coast as well, because it's a whole different world than, than here in Texas or the South or even some of the Midwest of what they're doing from a sports position. So the mental performance side, just the mental side of life right now has to be just a full-time focus for you. I'm curious for our listeners, because for a lot of people that maybe aren't as familiar with competitive volleyball, they're thinking, well, it's the same game. Like, why would you really want to focus on that transition piece? Help everyone kind of understand a little bit from a nuanced standpoint, why someone would, would really need that help to transition to those two styles, which same sport, different styles completely. Well, it's interesting. I actually had my, one of my beach volleyball mentors, so to speak, the woman who really introduced me to the sport and really believed in me and bring, bringing mental performance to uh, one of the top clubs in Northern California at the time. She recently told me, she's like, and I can't believe that people are comparing indoor to beach because it's like comparing snowboarding to skiing. It's like, well, yeah, they both involve a, you know, snow and going down a mountain. Um, indoor and beach volleyball both involve similar skill sets, right? Bump, set, spike. Yep. Um, they both involve a, a ball, but even the ball itself is different. A beach ball is different from an indoor ball. Um, and honestly, you look at indoor, you're playing six people on a court against another six people, and you, for the most part, stick to one position. When you're, when you're transitioning to playing beach, right, you have to be able to do everything, and it's just you and your partner. Yep. So there's often a lot more on the line, and at the youth level, you're playing with all sorts 
of um, all different partners. So you're not just playing with the same uh, person on again, off again. Oh, I'm sorry. You're, you're always playing with different partners. As in, be, in beach, yeah, because it's, it's always rotating out those one to two, yeah. right? Yeah. That's awesome. Okay, and so I would imagine communication skills have to be a, a big focus in beach that you have to communicate in a team dynamic of six, but sometimes maybe if you struggle with some communication, there's easier ways to hide it versus if you're just one-on-one. Right. Communication and effective communication is – a huge thing that I work on with a lot of my beach volleyball athletes because you can't hide on the sand. You absolutely can't hide. So to be as effective as possible, you have to be completely on the same wavelength as, um, as your partner. And if you're not, it can break down. Your play can break down extremely quickly. Well, and as you're saying that, all I'm thinking about is just relationally in life and our most important relationships. It's kind of the same process. Like if you're right. not on the same page, effectively communicating, if you're not working toward improving that communication and being on that same page and understanding, because it falls apart. And I laugh that, you know, my wife and I, when we got met and got married within a year, we were going to a couples counselor like year two and three because we did not communicate on the same page and what I had and said was not how she received it and vice versa. And, and it was just, I mean, essentially every session was all about how do we better understand each other and communicate better. Right. And it's, it's funny because we think about it in sports and it's like, ah, oh, no big deal, but it's every part of life. It absolutely is. And that's one of the reasons why I love working with these youth uh, with youth athletes because you try to instill in them some of these skills early on and then they build and develop over time so that when they do become adults um, even before then obviously uh, hope the hope is that they have the skills necessary to be even more incredible successful human beings I that, love that said you know <laughs> we're well, yeah. <laughs> I mean, I, yeah, you, and that's that's the hope. That is kind of the hope of yeah. why all of us, uh, you know, parents, we put our kids into sports. Some of us are like, yeah, our kid's going pro. But for most parents, it's like, I want you to have this activity because I know these skills you're going to learn because it helped me. And I, I just can't help think about like beach volleyball and the way you just described it for me being a, a great parallel for even kids that play multiple sports of having to trade out teammates and getting used to communicating with all these different people and how those players are probably better set up relationally handling certain situations throughout their life than other ones who, who have never had to deal with constantly working to improve that communication. I'm curious a little bit about your story because I know you are a competitive player. Where was kind of one, maybe the area that mentally you probably struggled the most as a player looking back that you're like, Oh my gosh, if I had my skill set now. Oh, and then what God. about playing pushed you down this career path? Oh man, that, uh, that is a good topic, Jake. I'll try and get the highlight version. But, um, <laughs> We've got time if you want to get into the weeds. Let's go. So I, um, I, I started off as a competitive gymnast. You can't tell right now, but I am six feet, one inches tall. So I'm, okay. I'm tall. taller than I am. I am not the gymnast volleyball type. Uh, I'm sorry, I'm not the gymnast body type. So my parents are like, hey, like we noticed you have this athletic ability like let's try volleyball instead it's like sure that, that sounds fun um so I played it I loved it for four years and ultimately I got to the point where I was playing at a very high level 
with my high school team and socially, I personally, I crumbled. I got injured my freshman year of high school. I was going to be playing at an advanced level for my age, but injury sidelined me and I felt like I got completely, um, my team didn't like me is what it felt like. And I had this terrible, terrible social experience of being the, the, the person who's left out, whose potential didn't get, you know, it, I didn't get to grow in the way I was supposed to grow my, you know, in these very formative years as uh. an athlete. And I ended up quitting. I completely crumbled under that pressure. I played one more year of, of club after that high school season where I felt like a piece of crap, to be perfectly honest, and just decided to pursue academics and really went that route. It's like, you know what? You know, I don't want to play in college. I don't want to play pro. Let's just focus on getting good grades and going to a good college. Um, when I look back on it now, and I, knowing the skills that I have now, boy, do I wish our team and our school had had some kind of sports psychology expert to be able to come in and be like to our team and really increase communication, increase the sense of rapport amongst the team. There is so much, like classic mean girl situation is what, I, is what I'm trying to yeah. get at. It's like, but with different, different set of skills. If I had known what to do psych, from a psychological perspective and ma managing my injury, if, I, if we'd had an expert come in and talk to us about team building, psychological safety, those types of topics, I think my own personal athletic career would have been completely different. My trajectory would have been completely different because I think I would have stayed in love with the sport much longer. So what pulled you back? Um, was honest, it that? That was the, a big draw because when, as a young adult, after college, I kept playing, I kept playing volleyball because I, I still loved it. Like I, I played intramurals all through college. I had tons of friends who were on, on the college team. Um, I would occasionally go to some of their practices just because I wanted to keep playing, even though it wasn't, um, I didn't play intercollegiately, so to speak. Um, and you know, volleyball helped me build a community in my twenties, um, just adult rec league volleyball. So it was something that was still ingrained in me. And then when I wanted to shift, shift careers, um, almost five years ago, I really started thinking about what did I love? Um, what mattered to me? How do I want to make an impact on this world? And I just really started reflecting on my own experiences. And unsurprisingly, my experience as an athlete became very, you know, came to the forefront. And I learned sports psychology was a field and it was immediate. It's like, oh my God, I can do this for a living? Yep. Hell yes, sign me up. Um, and it just so happened that one of the top applied sports like program master's programs was in my backyard. So that was a total coincidence and really helped just facilitate the whole, my whole career change. Love it. I love it. Yeah. Well, and, and one of the things that stood out to me as you're kind of sharing some of your stories is one of the things that we had talked about prior to today. And, and that honestly was the importance of, of self-compassion. Yeah. From an athletic standpoint, honestly, I think from a life standpoint to, to, yeah. to just cultivate your potential. And as you mentioned, like it's a, 
for a lot of people hearing that, they're like, that's a little counterintuitive. Like, why would I focus on self-compassion throughout this process? Give us a little insight into that space, because I know it's an area, it sounds like from your own personal experience, it's so near and dear to you, but why is it so important? You know, it is so true that a lot of people, especially coaches, um, will say, my athletes don't need self-compassion, they just need to work harder. Um, and maybe that's true. Maybe their athletes do need to work harder. I'm not saying that self-compassion is a replacement for working your butt off. However, what I do try to talk to my athletes about and what the research says is that self-compassion is a better avenue for actually working through your mistakes than is self-criticism. And oftentimes what I think comes to mind for people is, well, I have to be hard on myself to make myself work hard. Um, and to each their own, but oftentimes, again, this isn't 100% of the time, it is research supported in terms of significant results, but self-criticism actually tends to undermine our self-confidence and whatever it is we're doing. And it's gonna make us, it often makes us a little bit, actually it often makes us fear failure, fear feeling it, whatever it is we're gonna do, right? And when that happens, how do you think you're gonna perform? Yeah. Not as well, right? So you're gonna be more anxious, you're probably gonna procrastinate more, get stuck, so you're gonna make less progress and grow, like your potential won't grow as much. All because you're being too hard on yourself. Would, would you say this is similar to, and, and this may be right on, and I wanna make sure I'm on the same page, yeah. The the difference between being an athlete, being anyone, and looking at an opportunity, fearing you're going to fail, and putting that extra pressure on your shoulder of like, oh my gosh, I can't mess up, I can't lose this opportunity, I can't take, you know, I've got to take full advantage of it, I, you know, I need to go, 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 versus almost looking at it from a gratitude standpoint of what an incredible opportunity I have, yes. I don't want to waste it, what can I do to get better? A hundred percent, Jake. Um, when we are trying to, you know, whether this is an athlete who's on the field in the sand on the court or a professional who's at work, you know, or any other avenue of our lives, right? This isn't just, I'm not, this isn't just about athletes, but when we're trying to do what we need to do and our inner monologue is telling us, I can't screw this up. I, and it just, that pressure keeps bearing down on you, you're not going to show up as you know you could. You're not going to do as well. If you are chill, relaxed, ready to go, but with that pressure a little bit lighter, with that, with that monologue saying, you're ready, you got this, you're ready. Like, yeah, you might be nervous, but you're ready is different than you have to win, you have to do this, you have to nail this presentation, you have to get this promotion. The have to, we can shift that language and significantly change how we show up. I, I love that. Well, and, and thinking about that of, of people listening, not even just the athletes, but like career opportunities, uh, special presentation, sales pitches. Uh, we've talked about a lot just during COVID because life is different everywhere right now. Every state is going through different situations. And for a lot of people, it's frustrating of I'm not getting to travel and do work the way I was. I don't get to do this. And, and I completely related of like, man, I lost gigs out of the gate. I had a, I mean, March sucked, but I had to reframe it and, and continually say, okay, I'm not getting to do that, but I get to not be on the road until August. 
that's five, six months. I didn't travel for the first time in a decade. What can I get done? How can I take advantage of this opportunity of, of trying to reframe the situation of instead of what have I lost? Oh my gosh, blah, blah, blah to, yeah. okay, it's different. What do I get to do? Exactly. And I'm glad that you brought up gratitude and, you know, instead of looking at what I lost, what did I gain? Because our brains naturally want to look at the negative. What went wrong? What did I lose? But literally flip that coin over. What did you gain? What went right? And gratitude and practicing gratitude or practicing cultivating that sense of gratefulness, right, is such an effective strategy for training that mindset of how can I see the other side of the coin? What is good? What went well? Um, and there's a lot of research coming out, even in the sports space, in the sports psychology space, supporting gratitude practices for athletes. And to me, that this, this paired with a gratitude practice paired with self-compassion, we're really starting to see the positive psychology uh, research and the sport re sports psychology research start to support one another. And it, I mean, it's been doing that for a long time, but it continues to make an even stronger case for, for the soft skills being so important, even in, you know, harder skill arenas, like, you know, like industry, sales calls, um, Although actually sales calls, I'm sure I know require a lot of soft skills and effective communication skills. Well, say, yeah, absolutely. Like, but, maybe take that one out. <laughs> well, but what I would say is actually sales is such a relationship building process. Uh, exactly. Yeah. And, and, I, and I think a lot of us, when we, from a career standpoint, say, I mean, sales, I laugh and I've talked to other people about this, like naturally athletes are thrown into sales roles because, well, you, you know how to work hard, you know how to train, like sales is perfect for you. And it's not always the best fit for athletes just because they played sports. However, the soft skills they have are what these people look at. And a lot of other roles, managerial roles, leadership roles, career roles, we don't look at those soft skills as much. They look at the paper and what's, what are the hard, what are the technical but right. we, we forget that the soft skills add to the culture. They change the dynamics in the place. And, and ultimately, a person that has incredible soft skills, not that great at technical skills, they can build those. And, and, and you can build by, vice versa. Yeah. Honestly, I hate the word soft skills because something about it implies. Makes them sound weak. Yeah. Less but it's than. not. Yep. It's not at all. Um, and I can only imagine, especially as with COVID, a lot of workplaces going to more remote cultures yeah um, things are going to have to dramatically change um and they already have considering how much rapport you have to build with new teammates over zoom that's a completely different atmosphere <laughs> whole different ball game <laughs> yeah okay so as as we're talking i'm seeing these almost lego blocks of of how we build self-compassion and, and in my head based on our conversation i'm seeing gratitude as a piece positive self-talk as a piece but kind of for those listening, what are the core components to building self-compassion? Yeah, I'm so glad you asked. Um, the two leading researchers in the area of mindful self-compassion have outlined this really quickly. Um, and not quickly, clearly. And so Dr. Kristen Neff out of UT Austin and Dr. Chris Germer, 
uh, I am completely blanking on where he's from at the moment, but they define self-compassion as having three main components. And the first is self-kindness. And this is the area really where I see the gratitude coming in, because if you're regularly cultivating gratitude to seek out the good and why that good is so important to you, you're going to be able to be, it's easier to be kinder to yourself if you're regularly finding that good. So the first element is self-kindness. The second element that they describe is common humanity. And basically what that means is finding a way to connect your experience to the experience of being human. A lot of the times if we have a behavior we wanna change or we've made a mistake, the latter is often what I'm working on with athletes is how do you renegotiate your relationship with your mistakes? Um, our first instinct, the critic comes out and, is put, and tries to tell us, why did you do that? You're wrong. You suck. You're dumb. And the common humanity piece of self-compassion is stopping that. It is, helps you stop that to realize, hey, you know what? Someone in my position, this is making this mistake is part of being human. So instead of isolating yourself from your community or your team or what what have you you're actually re-engaging with that connection and the third element of self-compassion is mindfulness and so that's really just being in the moment and being aware of your thoughts and your feelings and what you're feeling in your body without over exaggerating them and that's the key piece especially when we kick into that self-critic uh self-critical place we tend to exaggerate like, oh my God, this is the end of the world. I'm going to get fired. I'm, I'm They're going to, they're going to drop me from the team. It's like, hold on. Okay. The mindfulness piece kicks yep. in. It's like, Hey, let's connect to this moment. I'm feeling anxious. So really bringing yourself back to the here and the now. So you put all those three pieces together and you practice them together. And that's going to help you develop more self-compassion. I, I love that. And I appreciate you, you kind of diving into that for us. And really, that actually helps me with how I wanted to wrap up today. Because what you just said right there of how we kind of almost practice giving ourselves grace and, and working through those mistakes in and, and that process leads us to this phrase that I believe your mom told you growing up about be curious, not furious. And really we talk about heavily the show and people that write in are like, man, I just want to build a better growth mindset. I want to stop sitting on past mistakes and, and looking at them that way versus just like, where's the growth opportunity? What can we do? What did I learn? And so this phrase of being curious and not furious, I know even though it probably drove you crazy as a kid is, is <laughs> one that you ironically will use now. What does that mean to you? And, and how do you try to encourage that with your athletes? Yes. It's funny. My mom will probably listen to this and I'm already smiling, listening to her, like knowing that she has, <laughs> you know, put this into the world for the next generation. Um, so, so often with athletes, uh, they get hung up on mistakes. We all do. Honestly, no one likes necessarily doing something poorly or doing something wrong. Being curious, not furious, means get curious about the mistake instead of getting pissed off about it. Because at the end of the day, mistakes are feedback. Doing something wrong, making a mistake, is telling you something. So being curious means, hey, so what is my mistake telling me? 
instead of, oh my God, I can't believe I did that wrong, right? So that's that critic voice coming yep. in, giving you crap. Instead of that, just start asking yourself questions. Like, huh, okay, I should have, I think I, I should have been able to do that skill or I prepared for my presentation. Why didn't it go in as well as I would have liked? So the curiosity allows you to respond to, a, to your mistake so much more effectively and learn from whatever it is you may have done wrong instead of just shutting it down. And especially when we talk about developing a growth mindset, learning from our failures, and I'm putting that in air quotes because yep. I, I honestly, a failure is such good information that you need to quote unquote fail to get better at something. If you don't, you're not doing it right. Right. So being curious is all about, hey, what are your mistakes teaching you? I love it. And that's how you it. get better. Honestly, whatever it is you're working on. That's right. What, what did I do great? What did I do poorly? Where can I build on what I did poorly? How can I improve that? And just day by day working that process. Anna, this has been so insightful for me. I know our listeners have to be so encouraged and obviously motivated to keep doing the work after hearing this. Where can they find out more about you and your work? We may even have some parents who are like, I've got a girl that plays volleyball and I know who I need to be calling this week. Where's the best place to get connected with you online as well as on social media? Yeah. So you can definitely find me on my website, AnnaHennings.com. And you can also find me on Instagram or Twitter. Uh, on Twitter, you can find me, I'm at tall Anna. Again, the whole six foot tall thing. I've really milked that. Uh, <laughs> Instagram, you can find me at Anna MPC underscore. That one doesn't flow off the tongue as easily. Any of those ways, you'll be able to get in touch with me. Um, please do. I, I, I love just talking to professionals like yourself, Jake, to fellow parents and There'll be a lot more to come as far as uh, my work is concerned as I did just move. So I'm yep. in a transition period, but it, it's an exciting one because I, I, I can feel the momentum and the motivation to, to keep it going. I love it. Well, I want to encourage you to obviously keep it going. I, I think these topics are, are so incredibly important. They obviously not only help build the self-compassion in athletes, but self-awareness. And I think for a lot of people, that personal responsibility of I can improve how I see the world, I can improve my mindset, which means I can improve my situation that I think more of us need today. So thank you incredibly for your work. Thank you for making time and hanging out today. This was a lot of fun. Thank you so much for having me, Jake, and take good care. Thanks again for tuning in to another episode of the Compete Everyday Podcast. To get in touch with me or the show, email us at podcast at competeeveryday.com. To join our free Facebook community and get connected with other ambitious leaders working to win their work, their workouts, and their life, be sure to visit us at facebook.com slash groups slash compete every day. Until the next episode, keep competing every single day because your life is worth it.